There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When King David dwelt in a house made of cedar, and saw that God had given him rest from his enemies, the pious king could not help but be troubled. While he dwelt in a house of cedar, the house of the Lord was no house at all, but merely a tent, a tabernacle, and David greatly desired to set this right. When David inquired whether he may build a house for the Lord, the Lord, apparently quite pleased with this, responded that rather he would build David's house forever. And David's line would manifest itself in a king who would reign unto the ages of ages. It is well worth remembering that the kings of the Hebrew people, David included, were anointed with oil, signifying that it was God who had made them kings, not man. And thus they were called anointed ones, messiahs in Hebrew, Christ in Greek. We see then that the simple words Jesus Christ have their origin here. Christ, not being his last name, of course, but a title. Precisely that of king. Thus we see why King Herod was so troubled and thought that his rule would be overturned by this newborn king. And we know also that this will be the legal rationale used by the Romans to put him to death as an insurrectionist. Over his head, they will place a sign that says, King of the Jews. The simple words, Jesus Christ, are a profound confession. Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary of the house of Joseph, is the Christ, the Messiah, the King. But more specifically, he is that heir promised by God to King David. He is the king who will sit on David's throne forever. David's son, yet David's Lord. So back then to the prophet's riddle. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse was the father of King David. A stump is a tree that has been cut off. Thus, the stump of Jesse refers to the once proud line, the once proud tree of Davidic kings being cut off. Of course, what's so astonishing is that Isaiah pens this twofold prophecy while that Davidic tree of kings was still standing tall and proud. He predicts not only its demise, but also its miraculous return to life. This proud tree of kings will become a cold, dead stump, Isaiah says. Then, miraculously, it will return to life. From the dead stump of Jesse, a shoot of new life will spring forth. From his dead roots will come a branch bearing fruit. Amazingly, we can see in these things a type both of the cross and of the resurrection. Here, a dead tree becomes a tree of life. 
just as the dead tree of the cross becomes a life-giving tree, its fruit bringing eternal life to all who eat. And similarly, we may also see a dead tree being resurrected to life. Another fascinating connection comes in our use and language of the phrase, one's family tree. When and where did people come up with the idea of a family tree? Well, this actually comes from the medieval paintings that depict this prophecy of Isaiah, showing a family tree of Jesse coming forth from his body with a new shoot and a new branch depicted as Christ. From that time on, people started charting their own families as family trees. If we wed these things together, we'll come to see some other profoundly wonderful things. For example, our true family tree is this tree of Jesse, now become the tree of Jesus. For as St. Paul says, we, wild branches, have been grafted in. Our earthly bloodlines fail to mean all that much if our true family tree is the family tree of Jesus, which then also means that our family tree is his cross. More could be said, but let's return to the prophecy of Isaiah and its fulfillment. The proud tree of Davidic kings did not retain the humility or piety of David or his concern for the house of the Lord. Rather, it became far too proud and began to bear very bad fruit. In many cases, it was the kings themselves who brought in, or at least approved of, the worship of false gods and even child sacrifice, rampant sexual immorality, and the systemic oppression of the poor, these being among the most egregious in God's eyes. While God had intended for the Hebrew people to be his own special nation, they were hell-bent on becoming just like everyone else. A parable there for the church to pay attention to. After centuries, finally God laid the axe to the root of that tree, and the prophecy of Isaiah came true. When the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, the proud tree of Davidic kings became a stump. God's promise to David came into question and would remain in question for centuries. But of course, even Isaiah's prophecy of doom holds the prophecy of unfathomable grace, a day from when that dead stump of kings, a new shoot would spring forth, a new king who would bring the Davidic line, the tree of David, back to life a branch from the root of Jesse that would finally bear good fruit and be pleasing to God in every way. And this is why in the Gospels, maybe Luke specifically, it's so heavily emphasized that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the city of David, 
and that he is born there precisely as a result of a census that required the house and line of David to return to its origin, to Bethlehem and to the house of Jesse in which David was born. That when Jesus is born there, it could not possibly be clearer that he is this shoot from the stump of Jesse and branch from his roots of which Isaiah prophesied. In other words, Merry Christmas. Christ the Messiah, the King who will rule forever, has come. David's son, but also David's Lord. His kingdom is in this world and yet not of it. His kingdom is of the Jews, but not only of the Jews. When he is lifted up and throned on the cross, crowned with thorns, he lays down his life for the life of the world. Whereas neither pious David nor wise Solomon nor any of the others in David's line could overthrow the ruler of this world and his principalities and powers of darkness, our King, the Lord Jesus, has. This is precisely why he reigns from the cross. He does not conquer by raw power, but by strength made perfect in weakness. The ruler of this world wields the greatest powers our world has ever known. The power of sin in all its forms, the power of death in all its forms, powers that we are powerless against. But greater still is the power of Jesus' blood, blood of God and blood of man, capable of cleansing us from all sins. And if the wages of sin is death, what happens when sin is removed? Death is removed as well. And thus our king tramples death by death. So St. Paul will write that our king has disarmed these rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them. The biggest mistake we can make this morning is to see all of this as merely metaphorical. It is in fact true. If Jesus has removed sin from you, he has removed death from you. And if he has removed death from you, whom shall you fear? The worst that any government or anyone else in this world can do is put you to death. But your king will raise you, literally. He has thus utterly disarmed the powers of this world. So we need pay no attention to their stupidity, their scheming, or their threats. We need pay no heed whatsoever to godless and tyrannical governments when they forbid what God commands and approve of what God forbids. When they attempt to regulate your worship, worship of the one true God, introducing their own forms of idolatry, and of course, the worship of the state, legalizing and encouraging child sacrifice with religious zeal, 
celebrating and encouraging sexual immorality with religious zeal and crushing the poor with their policies, remember who your true king is. And put no trust in mere earthly princes, or in our case, future elections. Remember rather how your true king has already disarmed the authorities and rulers by blotting out all your iniquities and by promising to raise you from the dead. Do not ever forget also how it is that our victory is won. Not by strength, that would be too easy for God, but by weakness. That is the real insult delivered. Christ and his people subdue all the powers of the devil and the world by weakness. Thus strength made perfect in weakness. Our confession is simply Jesus Christ. And with this confession, Satan and all his power are placed under our feet. Jesus Christ, he is the Christ, he is the King. In vain do the nations rage, they are impotent. In vain do the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his Christ. They've already been disarmed and overcome. Just as Isaiah prophesied, our King has been anointed, not merely with oil, but with the sevenfold spirit, we heard it in our Old Testament text, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, sevenfold spirit. Just as Isaiah prophesied, our king's delight, literally pleasing to his nostrils, incense to his nose, is the fear of the Lord reverence, humility, piety. And just as Isaiah prophesied, our king will not judge superficially, merely by what his eyes see and his ears hear. God is not mocked and our king is not deceived. He's well aware of everything that's going on. He doesn't need CNN or Fox to inform him. And he knows full well the lip service paid him by politicians who seek to subvert his rule with their policies. With righteousness, he will judge for the poor and decide with equity for the meek. And there, the word meek, meaning those who are inwardly bowed down. Repentant, we might say. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips kill the wicked and we will all see his kingdom come in due time. So let us realize that when we come to this humble altar today, we are in fact coming to the throne of the King of Kings. Though our eyes register only weakness, his strength is made perfect precisely in this. When we come to his throne and to his table, we are coming to the throne and table of the true ruler of this world. Let us come with hearts inwardly bowed down, 
confessing our sins because it is his good pleasure to forgive us and strengthen us. And when we receive the cup from his hand, let us not mistake the chalice and wine as being mere empty symbols, but rather poured upon your very lips is the blood by which the powers of darkness have been disarmed. If you think such things are merely symbolic or metaphorical or just so much religious talk, then why not call them what you really think they are, imaginary, and know that you will in fact have no true ability to stand in this world against evil if you reject that very thing by which evil has been disarmed. When you come to the table of our King, it is his blood truly poured into your lips or else it is a symbol and nothing at all. Worse, you might end up calling him who says, this is my blood, a liar. Heaven forbid. Rather, come not daring to contradict the king, but receiving his very blood which disarms all our foes. By cleansing you of your sins, and by removing from you the power of death. What then can the powers of darkness, what then can the rulers of this world do against you if you have been cleansed by the very blood of the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given? Merry Christmas. Merry King's Mass, indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.